passage that, that we read earlier. I'm sure you know this parable well. But I wonder what you were thinking in your mind as it was read out. Because in some ways, if we are honest, at first read, it, it seems a little unfair. Why should those who have worked all day, toiled under the sun for 12 hours, watch as those who came at the 11th hour and worked for an hour and probably just did some of the cleaning up got the same? What would your reaction be? Now, you may be a lot holier than, than what I am, but I think in all honesty... I would be echoing your comment in verse 12. You made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. It just doesn't seem right or fair that someone should get the same for a 12-hour shift as a one-hour shift for doing the same job. If you think it's fair, go into your employer tomorrow and just say, pay my friend 12 hours and pay me one hour just for the same shift that he did. Naturally, it doesn't seem fair. So what's the parable about? Well, I believe, after a lot of prayer and struggling this week, I believe that primarily, and as we are seeing with all of these parables that we have looked at, and forgive me for reading the beginning, it sounds like a bit of a broken down record, Claire, but context is so important. So important. And the word for that begins chapter 20, and remember chapter divisions and all that are comparatively new, okay, so it really should just kind of flow. But the word for shows that there is a continuation of everything that Jesus has been speaking about before up to this point. And if we don't grasp that whole idea of context, then actually the parable as a standalone story will leave us scratching our heads. So what has been happening prior to it? Well, in verses 16 to 22 of chapter 19, Jesus has just had a conversation with a rich young ruler who asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus actually tells him the answer. The problem with this young man is he, he, he doesn't like the answer that he gets. And Jesus finishes the conversation by telling him to go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And it seems that for this young man, that was too high a sacrifice. And we are told, and someone might keep me right here, but after hearing Jesus, he went away sad. But he went away sad. The cost was too much. And then Jesus tells his disciples how hard it is for a rich man, not impossible, but how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And, and, and by this time, the, the disciples are a bit perplexed and asks, well, who then can be saved? eternal life, inherit eternal life. To which Jesus replies, with man this is impossible. That is, no man can save himself. 
but with God, all things are possible. And then Peter. Peter pipes up with one of the other's questions. And, and, and Peter kind of says, well, asks regarding what lies in store for the disciples, because actually they have left everything to follow Jesus. That's why Jesus had told the preacher that. They have left everything to follow Jesus. To which Jesus assures him that all who follow him, all who have left everything to follow, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal you see, following and trusting Jesus is the only way to eternal life. I, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. And Jesus finishes the parable, or Jesus finishes with, uh, chapter 19 with, with the statement, many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And if you look carefully, you will notice that that statement is also repeated at the end of the parable, verse 16. Which is why the word for is so important. Because the parable sits between this twice stated statement. The first will be last and the last will be first. So with all that being immediate context, kind of let's seek to unravel the parable and see what it has to teach us today. And again, we need to realize that just like the Good Samaritan last week, this parable is not primarily about salvation. But as I said, service and our attitude towards it. We, we cannot work, we cannot earn our salvation. And indeed, even regarding rewards, we all got the same reward here, don't we? But we know that that's not the case here. We know that all rewards will not be the same. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 8 makes that clear. Each will be rewarded according to his own labor. So what do we do? Well, as with all parables, Jesus uses a system time. And the landowner of a vineyard needs workers. Harvesting time is a busy time just after. Billy and John and so on. Whether there is anything in the use of a vineyard here in the parable, I don't know, but, but those of you who know the Bible will know that often Israel is described in the Old Testament as the vine or the vineyard of God. However, here I think Jesus uses it to represent his work. And it's worth pointing out what the norm at this time was, that the working day would stretch from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And it was divided up into kind of three-hour shifts. And the marketplace that we read of, the marketplace was that place where people gathered in the hope of being hired for the day. And so the owner, and that's important, the owner goes to the marketplace in order to get workers for his vineyard. I want to just share two things with you in regards to this parable. We will see the grace of the landowner and we will see the generosity of the landowner. Once again, we have a parable that represents and speaks concerning the kingdom of heaven and of what it will be like with, again, an agricultural illustration. And I think we have to see God 
as we're handling this. Going out to call people to work in his vineyard. And we see in this parable, I say, as I said, the grace and the generosity of God. First of all, notice it is the landowner who goes looking for workers. We know he's got a foreman's right. We know he just gets his foreman up at six o'clock in the morning going, it's the owner. It's him that gets up early. Such is the interest in his own vineyard that he himself gets up at the crack of dawn to seek workers. Friends, we need to constantly remind ourselves that our call to service, and and not to our salvation, but our call to service is entirely of the Lord. It is he who takes the initiative. If God had not called you into pastoral ministry, first of all, you wouldn't even know me. And it may be a blessing to you, but I would still be selling over the time of medicine. I was happy doing it. But the owner of the vineyard calls workers into his vineyards. Here is someone who cares. And we are introduced, if you like, to, to kind of almost like four sets of workers. I say really only two, but the, the spread over four, four times he goes back. And the first lot, the first lot are those that are there at the crack of dawn. And a careful reading of the text seems that, to me, there must have been some kind of negotiation even contract, because we are told that he agreed to pay them a denarius for a day's work. Actually, this was the level of pay in those days for a soldier. So it is a fair day's pay for a day, fair day's work, and they agreed to it, and off they go. So, so the very fruitful God has blessed it. And more workers are needed. And we see that he went back at the third hour, at the sixth hour, at the ninth hour, and at the eleventh hour. And he calls those who were still there to work. But notice what he says. He's saying only to them, "He go work for me in my, my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. No negotiation on any part. Just, I will pay you what is right. Indeed, to those he called at the 11th hour, he doesn't even say that. Worth considering. The first, and by far the most important, relates to, to kind of the original question about eternal life that the rich young ruler posed to Jesus, that as we have seen, sparked this, this whole parable. And God's grace, God's amazing grace, God's outrageous grace has seen that he calls people to first and foremost salvation, yes, but he also calls us to service. I do not believe, brothers and sisters, that you can divorce the one from the other. We are saved in order to serve. And he calls us, if you like, to serve at different stages in life. 
He calls us to salvation at different stages in life. Some of you are blessed because you came to know Christ as a little child. And God kind of saved you from all the sin and heartache and everything that some who come later on have to go through. That's why holiday clubs and jam and wasps, and I get used to that, and wasps and, and bats and, and everything amongst children is so important. Others are called in their teens. That's why impact and Bible class is needed. Others in their 20s or 30s or 40s, and yes, even some later, right up until the 11th hour, the care homes are just as important. The grace of God and not just calling, but persevering. First and foremost, friend, have you heard and have you heeded that call? Don't put it off. Respond as all these people did, whatever the time and whatever your age. Both in regards to salvation and primarily here in this parable in relation to service. You know, in regards to service, there can be the danger of kind of, well, we're too young. I'm too young to do that. I'll wait a bit more. I want some more fun. Some freedom. Some of the world. And anyway, there's plenty of time to serve. Is there? Or we may think, well, I'm too set in my ways. Eh? I'm too old to change. I'm too old to die. I've done my bit. You are? What of this call to service? That Christ has loved us. He's freed us from our sins. He's made us to be a kingdom one but priests plural, to do what? And hear my heart, dear brothers and sisters at Grace Church, to do what? Sit about idly? Let others get on with the work? No. To serve. To serve. And we all have a part to play. I was sharing at the prayer meeting a couple of weeks ago that Prior to my sabbatical this past year, I'd probably been about with the hardest in ministry. And yet when I came back to it, the, the, the thing that I have found most encouraging was your response, the church's response in general to both our Christianity at Floorstow and to the epic adventure. Where it just seems that everybody played their part. Whether that part was coming along or whether that part was praying whether that part was encouraging, everybody served, everybody played their part. God has called us to serve in his vineyard. It's his vineyard. And of these workers here, at various times, during young, you are not too old, you are not too middle-aged to serve. All of us have a role to play. And we are to do it not just dutifully. I think that was the first lot of the problem, and I'll come to that in a minute. Not just dutifully, but perfectly. 
there is joy in serving the Lord. If you don't believe that, you would have been here last week when we were doing everybody's story. It was great fun. Looking at, see, looking at that little clip, I think I'll go and do super boot for about the next three or four weeks. It's hard work, but it's great fun. It's rewarding. You know, we're not to be like the kind of first lot that was there in the market who negotiated here. But rather like the others who, who willingly, they just, they heard the master calling them to service. And they just went, trusting the master to do what is right. Is that not a lesson for us all? Let's heed the call to serve, knowing that the master will do what is right. We are taking a long time to kind of get here, but what and where do you stand in regards to the calling of God? Primarily, yes, to salvation, but here for this parish and here for this month in regards to service. Because brother, sister in Christ, the landowner is still today calling for you. Secondly, the generosity of the landowner. The day is now at an end. All days come to an end. All time one day will come to an end. And then there'll be, your kid will be thinking a little bit about this tonight. It'll be the accounting. It'll be the rewarding. Here they all are. All lined up. Ready to be paid ready to be rewarded for the work done. Now, if it was a surprise that the landowner kind of went out himself to call people, then the idea that everybody would get the same no matter how long they worked was something that was just inconceivable. Trade union would have appealed to him. But that's what happened. Starting with the last day, then here would be his day of redemption. See, as I said, evening time is reckoning time. It is a time here when faithful laborers get their reward. But here to each is given the same. I wonder if as those who had been first hired, those who had been there since kind of six o'clock in the morning, I wonder if they stood knocked it off. If that's what this man is given for one hour's work, then you can expect 12 times as much. That would be my thinking. 12 to our work. And so the 11th hour workers get paid. Well, then in the, in the ninth hour, for now, well, maybe they just get more money. Kind of the tricks and, and the clubs. And finally, those that were hired get five o'clock watched and all dreaded this day. The last and the first and the first and the last. And I guess that, that in some ways we can understand their grumbling and they, they complain to the landowner. Yet notice what he does. He responds by reminding them that this is what he had agreed upon. We're not getting anything less than what they had negotiated. You see, 
later, but for me, the first lot kind of wanted a contract, they worked a deal. The others, they just trusted the handmaid. They just trusted him. As verse 4 says, to pay whatever's right. The first lot, it seems to me, bargained with the landowner. The second lot just believed in his officer. Here's a kind of known question, a word. The answer to this question, I guess, is, is unknown, but I like to throw them in. I wonder if instead of agreeing and negotiating, they had just trusted in the goodness and generosity of the landowner and first hire. I wonder if it would have been better with them. I don't know. But such was the generosity that they got what they agreed. And the landowner reminds them that he, as the landowner, has the right to pay what he wants for what he wants. If he chooses to be generous to everybody, why should they grumble? And notice, why should they be envious of those that he has worked alongside? Brothers and sisters, our attitude to serve is so important. We don't, we don't serve God for an expected payback. Yes, one day God will reward us, but that shouldn't be our focus. That shouldn't be our driving force. And if we are faithful, we will find out that God in his generosity will reward us in ways beyond what we could ever imagine. As one writer says, God is infinitely generous and gracious and will always give us better than we deserve. I think we know that this side of heaven even before we think about after death. Do not feel that God has blessed you far more than you than you deserve. He's a generous God. Out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he gives us and he gives us and he giveth again. And, and there is still so much more to come. what way are you serving in the work of the kingdom? And in what manner are you serving? This parable shows us in the market at that place that day was Halloween. Every one of them. God, the landowner had worked for every one of them that day. God has worked for every one of us here this morning. We need to be careful of, as it were, negotiating with God. I, I, I will serve in this way if you do this. Friends, let me lovingly say, that's not belief. That's bargaining. We need to watch, lest we have a spirit that begins to compare ourselves to others. What about them? Jesus had words, didn't he, about kind of people 
and he asked him, what did Onion Jesus do at Eloth? And Potiphar, he says, never mind it, Onion. What if it's worse? We're not to get envious of how God and his sovereignty sometimes chooses to reward others far better than he might us. But if we're not clear of among the first commandments. Charles Spurgeon commenting on this phrase says this. Some of the last, well, some of the last shall be first. For abounding grace is seen in their brief hour of grace. But some of the first shall be last. Not lost. Not their salvation. Shall be last. For they are not always diligent throughout their younger years. And that really struck home with me. Those of us who have been Christians a long time, and I include myself, we need to be aware of Peter's attitude that asks what's about us. What's in it for me? That's an attitude to service I think that is alien to the kingdom. Where are those of you today? Those new to the kingdom, new believers, they often have a zeal and, 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 and a desire just to kind of serve, just to tell. As they respond to that unexpected love and generosity and grace that called them and saved them, even at the 11th hour. May we all, no matter what stage we are in, know what it is, first of all, to be saved. But may we know what it is to serve with joy. Fixing our eyes not on what the other is or isn't doing, but resting in the truth that the great Lambler will do whatever is right. And I assure you, he is infinitely just. What if each one of us here this morning committed to serving God?